I'm Olympic and world champion diver, Laura Wilkinson, and this is the Pursuit of Gold podcast. We are unlocking all of the most effective tools to help athletes achieve their highest goals in sport. Each week, you'll hear elite athletes, experts, sports psychologists, trainers, and coaches share their unique advice, tips, and strategies for success. Each week, we are unlocking the physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual tools that help athletes reach their biggest goals in sports. Today, we're talking with Lauren Gibbs. She has a very unique and unusual story, but it's one that's going to want to make you start dreaming big, no matter how old you are. Get this, Lauren quit her job at 30 years old to start her journey towards the Olympics. And guess what? In just three years, not only did she make the Olympic team in bobsled, but she stood on the podium with a silver medal around her neck. Lauren also recently won the world championships, and she's still pinching herself to see if she'll wake up from this dream. If you haven't already, please go ahead and subscribe to the show so that you don't miss a single amazing episode. And while you're there, go ahead and rate and review us because that helps us continue to bring on these inspiring and awesome guests. And it also helps other athletes out there find us as well. I believe that there's gold in your future. So let's dive on into this episode with Lauren Gibbs. Lauren Gibbs, welcome to the Pursuit of Gold podcast. I am so stoked that you're here. Me too. Thanks for having me because uh, I definitely want to pursue some gold in my future. So, <laughs> Perfect. Well, I, I have to say, I just, I love technology and like social media. And I, I honestly don't even know how we actually connected on Instagram. Um, but I love that we were suddenly commenting on each other's stuff and then encouraging each other. And then we got on the phone the other day and like, I, I felt like I could have talked to you all afternoon, but I had to let you go because we don't really know each other. And <laughs> so I'm really glad you're here and we can just actually keep talking. <laughs> yeah. You know, I, I felt the same way. And I think I saw something about your Olympic journey on another plat, like on Instagram, but another account. And then I was like, commented and then you commented back and I went to your profile and then I think you actually followed me first and I was like, oh, I got to follow her back. And <laughs> I just, I love seeing videos of your kids and your training. Uh, yeah. Awesome. I love it. This is so fun. So one day we're actually going to meet in real life and be like in real life friends too. Okay. I look forward to that. <laughs> well, tell tell me a little bit about your background because I mean, bobsledding is your baby now, but it wasn't always. You were actually, you did a lot of sports when you were young, right? Yeah. I'm actually born and raised and currently in Los Angeles, which is not a bobsled town or I even a cold so. weather sport town. So yeah, I played all kinds of sports growing up. I, my first love was soccer. Um, I really enjoyed figure skating. Really? I didn't know yeah. you did. I know you told me you liked it the other day. I didn't know you did it. I took I took like small group lessons in Pasadena. Oh, that's cool. I, my neighbor at the time was a figure skater. And so she taught me how to skate. And I just thought she was the coolest person. And she is. Um, <laughs> and did track and field, did a little softball, and then finally landed on volleyball. And that's what I pay, played in college. Did you just, why, why volleyball? Like, did you just love that one the most? Or what was the, why'd you choose it? Well, I'd quit soccer uh, because I realized after my freshman year of high school that I was not good enough to play in college. And I really hated running. Um, <laughs> and there was no running at volleyball. And I was a good jumper. So I, nice. I thought, I'll give it a shot. You, you could have pursued diving too, you know. True. Um, and I'm not afraid I'm looking of for, hey, hey, I'm looking for a synchro partner. And you start things and pick them up quickly. So, I mean, you know, we got a year. You ready? If I had any kind <laughs> of coordination... 
and like body control, I would be there in a heartbeat. <laughs> but uh, I'm not trying to make you look bad. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, thank you for sparing me. I appreciate that. <laughs> You're welcome. What are friends for? <laughs> I know, right? Uh, yeah, I'm just going to say outright, I would be terrified to get no bobsled with you. But if I was going to get in with anybody, I think I would trust you. But- actually, no, you, you don't want to trust me because I don't actually drive the sled. I just sit in the back. So, but I have, <laughs> I, know. I know, I know a good pilot for you or a few good pilots for you. So I got your back on that too. Awesome. So was your intent like to play volleyball in college? Like, is that why you kept going? Yeah. So I played, played volleyball in high school because I, I wanted sports. I knew sports could help me get into a good school. And that really was like the means to the end was just to get into a good school and play through college and be a student athlete and yeah, and then be done. Because at the time, you know, I graduated in 2006, there weren't as many options for women's professional sports. And I was 5'10". I'm still 5'10", not was. So I'm not the typical volleyball player and I'm definitely too short. Gotcha. So I guess what was after school? Was it just kind of like you knew you were going to play in school and then that was going to kind of be it? Like you knew that already? And then it was just like go into the world kind of thing? Yep. It was play volleyball in, in high school, get into a good school, get recruited, study business and entrepreneurship in undergrad, and then potentially get my MBA, which I ended up doing, and then nice. go into sales management um, and hopefully end up in some kind of C-suite job at some big corporation. So you kind of like you had this plan all along. I, I was like a hot mess at that age. Like I just, I was like, sweet. I like diving. Let's do that in college. Cause I don't really want to do college, but I need an education. <laughs> so I was just kind of a mess. Like you, I feel like you're very organized and you had this like goal and this mindset and this track that you were on. Yeah. You know, I've always uh, wanted to be successful and I'm not sure if that was instilled in me. Cause I went to this very uh, competitive awesome, but competitive high school. And so I think that might've been part of it, but also, you know, very early on, my dad was like, you know, money's not everything, but don't romanticize poverty. And education was a big component in how to make sure you, you know, you didn't live in poverty. And so I didn't want to live in poverty. So I knew I needed to get an education. Very important. Yeah. And I, and I love that sports can really help open doors for that too, for so many of us. I mean, it definitely did for me also. So, I mean, okay, so you finished college and then did you just go out in the big world and get a job? Did you do your MBA right away? Were sports just gone at that point? Like, what was life like? Is that a hard transition? So I was so excited to be done with athletics after college. Um, <laughs> I never really liked practicing. Like, mm-hmm. I'm a very motivated, driven task, like just focus individual now, but like Lauren Gibbs in high school and college was kind of lazy to be completely honest. And that's why I still, some days I'm like, I can't believe I'm Olympian. Um, <laughs> I, I understand just, that. I totally Right. Yes. <laughs> and I think, I think the misconception is people think we sit around being like, I'm an Olympian. <laughs> like I don't think Wait, about you don't, it. You until, don't do that. You don't do that. No. Okay. <laughs> right. I don't think about it until somebody points it out. Is that your Olympic daughter to my parents? I'm like, yeah, that's me. I can hear you. Um, yeah. So I wasn't, I wasn't super focused. Like I said, sports was like a way to get to my end goal, but it wasn't my end goal just because I, I never saw it as a real option. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I hated practice. I really hated putting an in effort into things. I would really like things that were easy for me. I didn't like to work hard. Mm-hmm. And I'm hoping that anybody who hears this realizes that at any point in your life, you can change who you are. 
and do better because that's essentially what I did. But yeah, I graduated from college. Um, I'd already been in sales. I started selling Cutco knives at 18. Oh, nice. Yeah. Ran an office, uh, recruited college students to sell Cutco knives and made some decent money. Now, are are those the knives that like cut through pennies and pipes and stuff like that? Correct. Yeah. The scissors cut through the pennies and you do like the rope demo and the leather demo. I always got sucked into like those type of infomercials. (laughs) Right? Yeah. Yeah. I love as seen on TV stuff. Oh, yeah. That's my favorite section in Target. (laughs) Yeah. And so I just graduated and I opened my own Cutco office. And I didn't like Cutco anymore because that got too hard. And so I went to another company and then I didn't like that company because that got too hard. And then the housing crisis hit in 2010 and I was unemployed for like seven months, Hmm. not really getting any, like just anything. Um, And at that moment, I made a promise to myself to fully vet every opportunity that came to me because I'd passed up interviews and potential job offers because the, either the job wasn't quite right or the pay wasn't quite right. Mm-hmm. But I realized that some money and something to do was better than no money and nothing to do. Um, and that, that promise to myself is how I walked into an interview for a sales rep position and walked out with a sales manager title at a pretty large company in, uh, in Orange County. So, and that was my start of my corporate career. <laughs> And so did you, did you like that one? Like, did you stick with it or was it still kind of like you got worked your way up and got like, I don't like this anymore. It's too hard. So I did, I did like it. I think that that seven months on a couch thing where like I couldn't pay bills and like didn't have any money to do anything really kind of scared me enough to realize that, you know, I I now had a job that paid me a decent amount of money Mm -hmm. and I had the opportunity to work with people and impact people's lives. And so I realized it was kind of time to grow up at that point and put some effort into it. So I, I was a sales manager there. And about 18 months after that, I got promoted and moved to Denver and was an area sales manager. So I went from managing a team of like 20 people to managing a team of like 200 people in five different states. And I, I for the most part, I liked my work, but there always felt like something was a little amiss or just wasn't quite right. Like I wore a suit to work every day. And I always felt like I was playing dress up in my mom's closet. It was so weird. It just didn't seem like who I was. So how, how did you go from wearing a suit to work to suddenly like standing on the Olympic podium? How does that happen? In like three years, right? Like how does that happen? Yeah. I snapped my fingers. No, I, um, <laughs> I was working out at a CrossFit gym in Denver and a good friend of mine, her name is Jill Potter. And this was 2014. It was August of 2014. And Jill went on to be an Olympian in her own right. She was part of the first uh, women's rugby team to play in the Olympics oh, in cool. 2016. Awesome. Yeah. And Jill's pretty awesome. She's a two-time cancer survivor. Uh, her and her wife had a little boy, started a business. They've moved. They've done it all. Wow. And she, yeah, she came up to me and she was like, how much do you back squat? And I was like, 375. How much do you deadlift? And I was like, 425. She's like, can you sprint? And I was like, what's the deal? She goes, I think you should bobsled. <laughs> now, did she have any experience bobsledding or like, where is that coming None. from? <laughs> None whatsoever. So the pilot that I ended up racing in the Olympics with, Alana Myers-Taylor, did a season of rugby because she wanted to do both summer and winter. Yeah. And so she met Jill there and tried to recruit some of the rugby women like, hey, if you need something <laughs> to do in the winter, come bobsled. And you now rugby is a weird season, so it's not just summer. And so they're like, we can't. 
But when Jill saw me, she was like, Ooh, you Lauren. Yeah. You should bobsled. I'm like, so you won't do it, but you want me to try it. (laughs) (laughs) That's classic. Right. And so are we were like, yeah, or were you like, what are you talking about? Well, I was like, no. At first, I was like, bobsled, that's not even a sport. Like, I didn't even realize it was really in the Olympics. I think the first bobsled race I watched or experienced was a race I was racing in for the first time. Oh, are you serious? <laughs> yeah, I really knew nothing about the sport. And so, you know, I wasn't going to do it, but, you know, I made that promise to myself. And I hate hypocrisy. So I looked into it and I didn't know this. And obviously I know this now, you know this, but there's Olympic training centers all around the U.S. And so, yeah, I was in Denver. There was one in Colorado Springs. I was like, Olympic training center. I'm like, what do you mean? There's just a bunch of like, in my head, there's like a bunch of shirtless Olympians just like running around flexing on each other. Shirtless Olympians. Yeah, I was hopeful. Um, (laughs) And it's, it can be like that right during lunchtime when it's warm out. But uh Yeah. So I was like, I'll go down there. I'll try out for this team. It'll be this funny story that I tell my friends at work on Monday because it was over a weekend. For a little extra money, I could eat in the cafeteria and tour the facility. And, you know, the Colorado Springs Olympic Training Center is amazing. It's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It's just gorgeous. So if you got anybody listening has the opportunity to tour an Olympic Training Center, do it. uh, Do it. Absolutely. So I went down there and tried out for the team. And I was like, box check. That's it. And then, like, over the next few months, I kept getting these invites to the next step. And I just kept waiting for them to realize that this wasn't going to work because I was 30 at the time and completely out of shape. Hey, you've been crossfitting. You couldn't have been completely out of shape. Yeah, I was like crossfitting for like funsies. Like I was like hanging out with my friends and lifting a lot. I, I actually weighed like close to like around 200 pounds at that point because I was finishing my MBA and so I would just eat a lot and then I would just lift a lot. So I was like, like massive you know, muscle, like muscle mass. Yeah. Like muscle mass, but also some like, you know, a little chub. I'll send you a picture <laughs> okay. since we're friends now. Nice. Yeah. And then so like from just, August. Just, to- just so anybody listening knows, she is completely shredded now. If you go to her Instagram, you just see she is like cut. So yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Appreciate that. Um So from like August to October, I just kept kind of getting invited to the next step. And the next thing you know, I find myself standing atop a bobsled track and I'm like staring down the start ramp. It looks like a death trap. And they're like, okay, it's only going to take a minute. And by the way, bobsledding feels like being kicked off a cliff in a trash can. Have fun. (laughs) That's a nice visual. Right. And so, yeah, I took that first trip and I, I, uh, I didn't think I was going to make it. I did. And then when I got out, my first thought was, I can't wait to do it again. Really? Which, um, yeah. Was it, I really didn't expect. Yeah. I was going to say, was it terrifying? Like, were you like holding your breath the whole time? Like, what did it feel like? Like, give us all the feels of going down. Because it's like a long track, isn't it? Yeah. It's, it's about 1,500 meters long. There's 20 corners. Like, the first three corners are kind of like docile because you're just picking up speed. And then around corner four or five where like that part in the like placid track is called the devil's highway. Things get real, real, real quick. (laughs) And like we pull anywhere from like up to five G's of force. Yeah. And um, so wait, did they take you on like a baby course first? No, there's no baby course. (laughs) Actually, my first ride was also with Alana because she technically was responsible for recruiting me. So she took me on my first bobsled ride. Nice. Um, Yeah. And we reach up to like 70 to 95 miles an hour. Um, Wow. So it's fast. 
and your head's like being whipped back and forth. You're like in this weird position where you can't see, but your like legs are kind of extended and your head's between your knees. Oh my goodness. It's awkward. <laughs> um, but I just, I was like terrified and excited and I was like, wow, I got to do that again. And, uh, <laughs> I waited until the next day and I, to make sure I wasn't concussed mm-hmm. and I still Is that felt common? that way. So yeah, I mean, you can, you can definitely get a concussion bobsledding. Knock on wood, I've never had one. Mm-hmm. Um, but usually it happens after a crash. It doesn't normally happen after a ride, but you know, I was new and very dramatic about it all. So <laughs> did, did you think you were concussed because you were excited about it and you're like something must exactly. Be wrong. <laughs> I was like, I was like, I'm like standing before the ride. I'm like standing at the top and I'm thinking like, what went so wrong in my life? that I thought this was a good idea. Oh, I love it. That kind of reminds yeah. me the first time I jumped off 10 meter, very much the same, like did not really want to do it. I was terrified out of my mind, but all my teammates were down there watching me, you know, and they'd all done it before. And I knew they were going to heckle me and make fun of me if I didn't go. So I went on peer pressure alone and was like, I probably screamed the whole way down. I don't know. I was terrified. And when I came out of the water, it was like, that is the single coolest thing I've ever done in my life. <laughs> so like your first jump, was it like a, like a, what is it called? Like a pencil dive where you just kind of yeah. jump feet first or yeah. like, was it like a legit dive? No, it was just a jump. Um, yeah. Okay. But the first dive I actually did up there was actually like a, a multiple spinner dive, which is not normal. But, um, but yeah, my first jump was a jump. And let me tell you guys, do not just go straight up to a 10 meter and jump off, work your way up because not everybody just takes a step off and lands on their feet. People land on their face Ooh. or their side. Like, yeah, just, uh, you know, PSA. And if you there, enter wrong, watch you make sure you can work your way up to that level. <laughs> and if you like enter the water wrong, doesn't it kind of feel like concrete from up there? Yeah. Like, Cause you, you hit it like 30, 35 miles an hour. So, I mean, it's, we're not, we're not pulling anything that you guys are pulling, but like, I mean, you hit the water and it feels like you're hitting a brick wall. So yeah, even when you do it yeah, well, <laughs> I have a helmet on and you just like, you're in your uh, bathing suit. Maybe I should wear a helmet. Maybe that would help. <laughs> <laughs> I'll have to try that when you come down for our synchro lesson. Yes. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So you were conned into doing this, this like tryout. Then you went to all these camps and now you're going down the actual, you know, Lake Placid, whatchamadoodle. Uh, Placid track. Yeah. Thank you, Placid track. track. That's yeah, the word I was yeah. looking for there. I, I mean, are you just like, I'm doing this for the rest of my life? Had you quit your job? Like what? what's happening here? No, I was just like, I thought about it and I talked to the coaches and I talked to Alana and they said, yeah, you know, they had a, a bunch of people retire after the Sochi Olympics in 2014. Mm-hmm. Um, both men and women's teams won medals, so they did well. And they they were looking for new people, and they said, you know, you're tall, you're strong, you're fast. Obviously, there's some things you need to work on, <laughs> lose some weight. No, they didn't say <laughs> that, but I, I kind of understood that I needed to lose some weight to, in order to compete. And they said, you know, the next Olympics – is 2018. And we're currently recruiting people who want to try and go for it. And I thought, huh, interesting. I thought I can get a new job. I can never try out for the Olympics really ever again. And so I felt like I had enough experience and, you know, opportunities in sales, potential opportunities in the future, but I would have very limited opportunities to potentially go to the Olympics. And so about probably about a month after that first ride, I, I quit my job. Wow. Yeah. So you were like all in. Yeah. My parents were real excited about that. 
<laughs> well, so what, I mean, did you like move to the training center? Like, how were you paying for training? Because I mean, maybe people listening out there don't know, but most of us Olympians don't make much money, if any at all. Like we're paying to do our sport oftentimes. I know. I keep waiting for that, like money, you know, that money to roll in and then just like nothing comes. It'd be nice. Um, so by October, like the season had already was like getting ramped up. So I was in like Placid. We did team trials in like Placid in Park City. And then I made the national team and then went off for my first season. And then that following summer, I had some credit card bills to pay. So one of the companies that I had worked with prior allowed me to move to New York and kind of get that sales office up and running. Oh. And then I also like actually made sales. I was like a sales rep manager combo just to pay off debt and, you know, to be a little more financially secure. And so I did that for three months after that. And then after that summer, uh, I moved to Colorado Springs for the summer to train there. Oh, that's very cool. What And what's it like to live in the Olympic Training Center? I've only visited, I've never actually like lived there, stayed there for an extended time. Like, what is it like? It's like college with no classes. <laughs> that sounds awesome. Sign me up. <laughs> but also no alcohol. <laughs> right. <laughs> it's not allowed. <laughs> so do you live in like dorms there? Is that kind of how it works? Yeah. So there are the barracks that are like in the back and those are singles in one building. And then they have like two buildings with triples and they usually use those buildings for like incoming camps. But if you're like a a resident or a long-term stay, you generally get your own room, which is cool. And then they also have the nice dorms or the newer dorms. And I think now the rule is you have to be an Olympian or Paralympian to live in there. And that those are the dorms that are attached to the main building. So you don't have to leave the building to go to the cafeteria. Ooh. And what I think is funny is no matter how elite you are in most sports, I don't know about you, but most Olympians I, I, I know don't really like walking. Oh, the <laughs> closer you can be the right, the closer you can be to the food, the better. <laughs> I feel like it tends to be the more like cardiovascularly inclined people. The people who are more capable of doing it don't want to. Like swimmers. Swimmers <laughs> are notorious for like when they're on taper, they're like, drive me everywhere. Mm-hmm. You know, pick me up, take me in a golf cart, like don't make me walk at all. I mean, divers are kind of like the same all the time, so it doesn't matter. But I noticed that with swimmers a lot. Well, bobsledders definitely don't like to walk long, long distances. Everything blows up your back, your ankles, your knees, your hips. It all hurts. So, Oh my gosh. That's so funny. So what, I mean, did you feel like you were just living in a dream? I mean, you quit your job. You're, you're in your thirties, right? Mm-hmm. At that point. Yeah. And you're just suddenly like living at the Olympic training center and training for the Olympics. Like, I mean, did you think you were going to wake up at any moment? I'm still waiting to wake up. (laughs) I think the day I moved in, I was like, I didn't, I got up late. I like went to breakfast by myself. My friend and her husband had already moved in, but I hadn't seen them yet. And I like went to go check out the gym. And the first person I run into is Michael Phelps. Are you serious? Yeah. He's like, can I help you with something? (laughs) (laughs) I was like, Hi. He goes, Hi, I'm Michael. I was like, I know. <laughs> That's awesome. Were you totally nice. awkward? <laughs> he he like directed me to the right place. <laughs> yeah. Cool. I was so like, cool. hey man. <laughs> oh my goodness. Yeah, you never know who yeah, you're gonna run into just, over there. Crazy. That is so cool. So literally, and like he's not he wasn't there all the time, but he would like come in for camps and his camp was there. So 
That's so cool. So what did it take from that point to actually make the Olympic team and then stand on top of the podium? Oh, how much time do we have? Lots. Um, Give it to us. Yeah, it took, it was, it felt like, you know, a term like drinking from a fire hose or something like that. Uh That's what it felt like. You know, it's, it's interesting. I think they say something like it takes 21,000 hours to perfect something. Mm -hmm. And what most people don't realize is that you get a very limited amount of time actually bobsledding because even during the season, we take a maximum of two runs a day. Oh, really? Run, Yeah. Each run only takes about a minute. And my portion of it only takes about five seconds. Oh, wow. So I had a very steep learning curve, a very short amount of time. And so it was figuring out a coach. It was figuring out a schedule, understanding that I was now going to be working out six days a week and figuring out recovery. Um, so many people ask me, like, what's your training regime? And I'm like, I lift like an Olympic lifter and I try and sprint like a Olympic sprinter. But what I feel like it's funny is that people don't ever ask about is what my recovery regime is about because mm. that I learned very quickly. I think also because I was over 30. If you don't recover well, you're not going to be able to work out well. And so just so learning get, what it give meant. Me your, yeah, get, tell me what it means because I obviously am a little elder statesman in the Olympian status here in my 40s. Um, and I've realized recovery is very important right now. So yeah. tell, me, tell me all the things I need to know. Yeah. So first, I mean, it's simple stuff like diet, the fun, the simple stuff, but the not fun stuff. Mm-hmm. And so I realized at my desk job, I never drank enough water. Mm. So hydration is super important, especially in Colorado Springs where the elevation is quite high. How much water do you try to drink a day? I try and get a hundred ounces a day. Nice. Yeah, at least. And some days when I'm busy, it, it's tougher than others, but I try and get the biggest jug I can get and, and drink a lot of water. And then diet's super important for me. Um, it's all about explosive strength. So making sure I get enough protein in my diet, mm-hmm. but also get enough carbs because, you know, carbs help with recovery and like, reducing muscle soreness. Mm-hmm. And then I use a few different things like Normatex and I roll out a lot, something I never did. Like just spend some time on a roller and work through knots. Yeah. Which is I, that I... You, you love and hated it all at the same time. <laughs> yeah, I have a weird relationship with pain now, I think. It's like, oh, that hurts. I must be on the right, right spot. Let's keep going there. <laughs> right. Uh, cupping is is really big for me because I get my fascia gets very inflamed and just bound up. So I'm very like tightly wound. My body is at least. Hopefully my personality, not so much. I don't think so. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks. <laughs> And then just, you know, dry needling, chiropractic work, those not so fun, deep tissue massages, cold pools, hot pools. There's just a lot out there in recovery now, which is really great. Yeah. And so you're us- utilizing like all of them. All of the things. That's great. All of the things. Yeah. And that's, I think, one of the great parts about being an Olympic training center is because all of that is there at your disposal every single day. Yeah. So, okay, you're learning, you're drinking from a fire hose. You've learned that recovery is important. Like what other things are you kind of like learning in that process? Oh, I'm learning that you can't choose your teammates. And yeah, it's hard because essentially we all want, wanted the same thing. We all wanted to go to the Olympics and win a gold medal. Obviously, none of us could do that. Not, I mean, not all of us could do that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you're competing for everything. So you're competing for a stipend. You're competing for a spot at, at the training center to train in the summer. You're competing to race every week. 
but you also have to work together. So how do you, you know, work together with your closest competition? Because before we could take on the world, we had to beat each other out for spots in the, in a sled. And the U S women's bobsled team is very competitive. Bobsled was for women in the, in the um, Olympics was introduced in 2002 and the U S women's team has, has won an Olympic medal at every event since its introduction. Wow. So yeah, it's kind of a, a big legacy to be a part of and, right. you know, something you really have to fight for. So that was tough. And, you know, in my phase in my life, I'd become a manager and I managed people. I managed people that were older than me. And so I was kind of used to being the person with all the answers and the person that just got things done and was the expert. And I went from the expert to a full-on rookie that pretty much knew nothing about bobsled, sprinting, or really even training properly. And so realizing that I had to ask for help and that I had a lot to learn was really tough for me. And then you, I think the biggest thing I learned is, you know, people are like, oh, follow your dreams. Well, following your dreams is great, but as you probably know, it can be very isolating mm-hmm. and it can be very scary um, and it can be very overwhelming because, you know, at 30 years old, I'm starting a new sport and I, you know, every once in a while it crosses my mind, like, do you really think you can go to the Olympics? Like, are you serious? Like, is this something you really? A a fake or a fraud or something, right? Yeah. You're like people like to me, an Olympian was somebody who found their sport at four and like, you're trying to like fake it in three and a half years. And so I think that was really hard for me as well. So how how did you deal with that specifically? Because I think, I think even people who started their sport at four sometimes feel like that. You know what I mean? I mean, I've won the Olympics. I've won world champ. I've won everything. And I still feel like that sometimes. You know what I mean? So how, how, (laughs) but how do you deal with those feelings and those thoughts when they creep into your mind? Because I think we all have them. We don't all admit it, but I think we all have it. I think the first thing I had to do was really admit it, right? Just like sit with those feelings for a second and be like, yeah your path is definitely different, but like someone's got to go. So why not you? Yeah. I like that. Why not me? And really for me, I think I was at the point in my life where I was tired of being lazy. I was tired of quitting things and I wanted to do something for myself that would really test who I was as a person. Like I wanted to see who I, I just wanted to really see who I was in my character And so I made a commitment pretty early on that win, lose, or draw, I was going to see this through all the way. I just wanted to see, like, I was like four years or three and a half, uh, whatever you want to put it out as, Mm -hmm. is not that much time, right? In In the grand scheme of your whole life. So I wanted to see if I could just commit myself to one thing for a very specific amount of time and see what I got from it. And I don't know why it was bobsled, but it just like, it just speaks to me. Like I, I feel more alive pushing a sled than I do doing most things. So. Oh, that's so cool. So how did it work to make the Olympic team then? Cause you guys, I mean, do you have a, a regular trials or is it, do they handpick the teams or how does that work? It is terrible. Like, I mean, it's not really terrible, but it's like. Feels terrible. Yeah. <laughs> So basically what happens is the year of the Olympics. So every year we have eight World Cup races and world championships. And the year of the Olympics, obviously, we don't have world championships. Actually, that's not obviously. Some some sports have both, which I think is crazy. 
So the year of the Olympics, we don't have world championships. We have the Olympics instead. And so they use the first seven regular season World Cup races to determine the Olympic team. And then once the team is named, you basically race the last regular season race with your Olympic partner, and then you go to the Olympics. And so the pilots earn points for every race that they do. And there are a certain number of countries that can have three sleds, certain number of countries that can have two sleds, certain number of countries that get one sled. And then there's like the continent rule, which is like if your continent is not represented in the Olympics, you get an automatic bid. And then there's the home nation rule, where if you're hosting the Olympics, you get an automatic bid. Complicated. Yeah. And so the pilots, how the pilots go is pretty straightforward, right? You race these seven races and that basically we'll just call it the top folks go to the Olympics. Mm -hmm. Now the brakeman, which is my position. So I'm called the brakeman because I pull the brakes at the end. Mm -hmm. There's no braking in the middle. People often ask that. So I'll just debunk that right away. You want to go fast. Exactly. No, No, no it's like a car. (laughs) And I'm like, yeah, but there's no gas in a, so you're just, yeah. And so the brakeman, they evaluate us. They take our, our whole book of work. So I started year one of the quad. Some people started year three. Some people started the year of the Olympics. They take your whole book of work and your trends and everything. And a selection committee selects who goes to the Olympics. Wow. Yeah. And so it was January 13th. We were in St. Moritz, Switzerland which is the most picturesque like place to bobsled. It's the birth of bobsled. It's the only track in the world that is a handmade ice track from like snow and ice every year. Yeah, it's amazing. And we had a race. I was racing with my best friend and we're still best friends. And the race didn't go well at all. (laughs) Like I think we finished like 10th or 11th. And up until then, I'd had a pretty good like season and was like, yes, I'm going. And We had expected to qualify three sleds. We ended up only qualifying two, which meant like three people, three additional people weren't going. And they're like, well, the the race ended at like one. And they're like, well, 1 p.m. in the afternoon. And they're like, we'll announce the team at 11 p.m. Oh, geez. (laughs) And so I just asked, I was like, look, if for some reason I'm not going to make the team, can you just tell me individually so I just don't lose it in front of everybody? That would be great. And so I spent most of that afternoon crying and eating. Yeah. I feel like that's a fair response. (laughs) Right. And then watching Gilmore Girls reruns because I wanted to pick a show that if I didn't make the team and I never wanted to watch that show again, I'd be okay with it. Um, Not that I don't, I love Gilmore Girls, but I'd seen it before. So I was just rewatching that. And like 11, 15, because they were running behind, I get a text from my coach that says, can you meet me in the library? Oh, geez. Yeah. And so they had had us move out of this the I, hotel. It and- feels, I don't know how it felt to you, but listening to this, it feels like you're walking out for your sentencing. You know what yeah. I mean? Like, it's terrible. <laughs> it did feel, feel that way. And so we had moved hotel rooms, uh, hotel hotels, because the men still had to, another race and they didn't want the women's Olympic announcement to kind of go crazy and then disrupt the guy's race. And so I was walking back to the hotel and I'm like, all bundled up and I'm like, you know, trying to figure out what's happening. And I get like 10 feet from the door and something like just lights up and I'm like, I'm going to the Olympics. So I kind of like start jogging. And like, so by the time I get to the, the library, I'm like sweating because I have like eight coats on 
you know, I'm in the hotel. I already don't do cardio. And that like <laughs> whole, like 400 meters of jogging was enough. And I just start like stripping off my outer layers and freaking out. And they sit me down and they're like, you know, Lauren, you've had a great career. You've really come a long way. And I'm just like waiting for the butt. Like, but, you know, we feel like the race today showed us that maybe the combination we had today isn't the best fit. So because of that, we'd like you to push Alana Myers-Taylor in the Olympics. And I just, I literally like was sitting in a chair and I slid underneath the table that everybody was sitting at (laughs) and just kind of like laid there and they're like, get up. And I was like, I can't. And there's a quote that I love. It's a video. I think that our, our bobsled federation made, and it has a a soundbite from uh, one of my teammates, John Daly. I think he's a three-time Olympian for skeleton. And he said, you'll never forget the day they told you you were going to be an Olympian. Hmm. Um, like I get chills just saying that. Yeah, they're right. I'll, ne- I'll never forget that moment. It was like, people were like, oh, what was it like to win a medal? I'm like, winning the medal was amazing. But just like that moment was basically the universe's way of saying, Lauren, you worked hard at something. You committed yourself to something. And you did it. Like, congratulations. Here's your new life. Yeah, that's so cool. And that's so, I mean, we don't have, we have a different process. Granted, it's changed a lot throughout the years, but mm-hmm. we still have a trials that we have to go to and like right. compete at that specific trials. And I tell people the same thing. I mean, there's a lot about the trials that is more intimidating than the Olympic Games themselves. Because mm-hmm. like the Olympic Games, it's an international meet. There's a big crowd. Like, I mean, you kind of do that at world championships and other things with the Olympic trials. Like you can't try and attempt your dreams until you like, get past the Olympic trials. So it's like a mm-hmm. weird, it's weird how that can make you way more nervous than like the bigger competition you're trying to get to. Yeah. And it's like, you know, at the Olympics, you compete against the same people you've been competing against for years. Mm-hmm. You know, those competitors are the same. And I don't know about you guys, but we do a, we are required to do a world cup race on, on, because usually it's a new bobsled track. And so I've competed on that track by this point. I've had big crowds, bobsleds, always big crowds. And, you know, the Olympics at the end of the day, it's a very special competition, but it's still just another competition. And as a competitor, you want to win everything you, you go out there to compete against. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, um, it's definitely special, but yeah, hundred percent, like making the team was more nerve wracking than competing in the Olympics. So you are an Olympian and you are at the Olympics. What, I mean, is it what you expected? Was it totally different? Like walk me through all the feels. So first of all, when you called me an Olympian, I smiled and kind of like, like waddled back and forth in my chair in delight. <laughs> so thank you. Oh, you're welcome. And um, yeah. <laughs> well, I did it again. You're making me blush. Uh, yeah. You know, the Olympics were great. And I think it's because I call them my, my Olympic bobsled moms which is funny because I'm, I'm older than them. Oh, my, like the pilots that had have come before me that I raced with. I'm like, you're my, I was raised by my bobsled moms. That's so you know, so, so many, right. Yeah. I heard so many stories about just different experience at the Olympics and some people had just great experiences and some people just had like, just not great experiences. And one of my coaches said in his first Olympics, he wished he had prepared better. And so I felt like I got a lot of advice from people about what the Olympics was going to be like. And I made a decision 
is you notice I make a lot of decisions, right? <laughs> For myself. That's, that's important. <laughs> I made a decision that no matter what, if I got to go to the Olympics at 33 years old, I was going to love it and I was going to be prepared and it was going to be an event and it was going to be awesome. And it was all of those things. Like the Team USA building was awesome. The Athlete Resource Center at the bottom was cool. I got to meet all these Olympians. You know, I met Michaela Schifrin and I met Sean White and I met Lindsey Vaughn and Gus Kenworthy. I love him. And like, I saw my friend Adam Rippon become like America's sweetheart overnight. And my friend Chris Mazder, who's a luge athlete, like make history for the United States and win the first Olympic, US Olympic luge medal for men. And I accidentally went viral a couple of times. You know, I had like all the experiences and I got to go watch um, live. I watched, you know, I love figure skating. So I watched the team event live. Mm. And it's funny when you train at the Olympic Training Center, you spend a lot of time with people, but you don't spend a lot of time with people watching them do their sport. Right. And so I have this moment where I'm like, holy crap, you're so good. (laughs) (laughs) I love that. Uh, So it's fun to see my friends compete for the first time and to be able to do it live. I saw speed skating. Mm. I was at the half pipe final and I had this cool selfie of me and Sean White. He's in the background, like hugging and crying with his mom. And I'm like smiling and cheesing, be like, look what I just did. (laughs) Um, And, you know, Team USA really does it right. You know, we had a lot of food restrictions as bobsledders because we have to maintain a very specific weight. And Mm -hmm. so the food was great. It almost, the only part I wish was different. It almost didn't feel like we were in Korea because everything was so seamless and laid out, but it was perfect environment to succeed at the Olympics. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's so cool. And so succeed you did. You were also standing on the podium at the end of that. I mean, were you even, I don't know what, what was going through your head at that point? It was a mixed amount of like things. Like I just still was like, it was like, it was hard to believe that it was over. Right. That was hard. Cause like, basically I trained for four years for four minutes of competition. Yeah. People forget that. And my part. Yeah. Yeah. And really it was like three minutes and 30 seconds. Mm-hmm. And my piece of it was like a whole 30 seconds long. Like, <laughs> really think about that. Like I pushed a sled for 30 seconds over two days. <laughs> it was over. So it was incredible. You know, I had 17 people from my friends and family that came to watch. And so to be able to share it with them was really special. I think you can hear me on the broadcast when they put the metal around my neck. I was like, whoa, this is heavy. Because um, <laughs> awesome. The Olympic medals in Pyeongchang, I think, are the heaviest medals ever made. You're just bragging now. Stop it. Yeah, I am. <laughs> I am. I also brag because like winter medals, you know, they're complete. All of them are completely different. And mm-hmm. summer medals kind of have like a, a thing. Like a, Yeah, the front's always the same. Yeah. 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 Is that the front? Yeah. So the front was the same from like 1896 um, through 2000. Then when it went back to Athens in 2004, they changed it. So now the front will always be the same until it goes back to Athens again. Okay. Yeah. The, the size can change. The back is always unique oh. to the host country and so what the ribbon is... is always different. But yeah, I, I get Olympic, I get medal envy sometimes because um, David Budaya, he's a diver as well. And he went in London and he's got like this giant metal. Mine looks so tiny compared to it. And I'm like, that's, that's not cool, man. <laughs> that's not cool. But it's like so much easier to carry around if it makes you feel any better. <laughs> And, um, all right. So you have this really cool, heavy silver metal around your neck. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> oh, that's so fun. Her name is Geraldine. Oh, she has a name. That's good. <laughs> I've yet to name mine. Yes. So, I like I mean, to name inanimate objects. <laughs> so, I think we're getting a little off track now. Okay. Reeling you back in. Um, so was that kind of it? Like, did you think that was going to be it? Like, wow, I started this thing in my 30s. I went to the Olympics. I meddled at the Olympics. I'm good. Like, here comes life. That was the plan. And then like, you know, the Olympics are intoxicating. Like, I remember standing at like the... Before I got the medal, the night we won, it was like 10 p.m. And you're just like on all this adrenaline and caffeine. And you just run into the stands to greet your family. And you've got this American flag around wrapped around your, your, you and your partner's um, shoulders. And like your entire family and friends are like all crying because like, like they can't believe you did it. And for me, it was like, well, yeah, that was the point was to come in and win an Olympic medal. And I think <laughs> you have to have that kind of just full on belief in yourself to like, to the point where like where it, when it happens, you're like, that was the point. You know what I mean? Like there wasn't another option and we're chanting USA, USA. And then all of a sudden my hand pops up and I start going four more years, four more years. And I was like, oops, I guess I'm doing this again. (laughs) Oh man, that's funny. That's funny. You're like, I'm in. I love this life. I'm doing it. Let's again. do it. Let's and you do it. and you won world championships this year, right? Yeah. Whoa. The old girl still got it. <laughs> so what has this go around been like compared to the beginning and drinking from a fire, you know, hydrant? Oh man. It's like easier but harder. <laughs> if yeah. that makes sense. Yeah. Like I get what I have to do. Um, first of all, you know, people talk a lot about the Olympic slump just like that little bit of depression that happens after the Olympics. And I kind of thought since I won a medal, I wouldn't have that problem, but it was like, you go from like the most intense experience of your life. Uh, Cause I, I haven't had kids. So <laughs> um, to like, just, it starts again, it like resets. Mm-hmm. Um, and just because you won a medal doesn't mean training gets any easier. Mm-hmm. Doesn't mean you still don't have to make the team. You know, it's like in, in most jobs, careers, as you get higher in your career, the things that you've learned and done really build upon themselves in a way that like, you don't feel like you're you're starting from scratch every day where like, you know, I didn't train for like three months after the Olympics because you have to let your body just kind of decompress and like that first warm up after that three months felt like I'd run a marathon and it, everything hurt. And so that was hard. And then there was a lot of change on the team. You know, my the woman who had become my best friend who was on the team, she retired and rightfully so she'd done two Olympics, won a medal. Her husband was a bobsledder. They live in Germany. It was time for them to start their, their grown up life. The coaching staff changed and it was like me and my Olympic partner and then a bunch of, newbies who were just like green and just really excited to be there and didn't have any real goals other than just like, let's learn about bobsled and travel the world. This is going to be fun. And so you go into that year after the Olympics, you know, with all these plans and things you want to do and you want to be a world champion. Cause I've never done that. And it just keeps going wrong. And that was really tough. And that was one of the first times where I was like, maybe I really shouldn't be doing this. And maybe the universe is trying to tell me that, you've overstayed your welcome. Mm-hmm. Um, and I realized that I could leave whenever I wanted to. So I wanted to try and leave 
on better terms if possible, especially because of all of the great things that had happened in my life since starting bobsled. And so I was like, you know what, give it another year and see if things level out and get better. And they did, they got a lot better. And I'm glad I didn't leave on such a like sad, sour note. And then I won a world championship gold. And that was like, I actually cried after that. I didn't cry at the end of the Olympics, but when we crossed the finish line and I was a world championship champion, I cried. Like not like sobbing, but you know, well, something, something. Do you think just going through more and knowing it more? And, and I, I mean, wh- why do you think that is? I think because at that point, because, you know, winning that silver medal was amazing, but I really thought we were going to win gold. Mm-hmm. And like the numbers didn't quite match up. Like we had out pushed our competition by eight tenths of a second and they, they like came back and beat us. And so that kind of like threw me for a loop a bit. Mm-hmm. And then with all of the like just coaching changes, I didn't get along with the new head coach. We really butted heads. It was very, it's just bad. And then both of us came into that season wanting to be better and work together. And so that relationship had mended itself. Uh, my Olympic pilot had actually taken the season off because she had a little boy who was so cute. Nico, right? Yeah, shout little out Nico. to Nico. Nico, I call him NT two because <laughs> it's he's Nick William Taylor the second. So like NT two in the house. <laughs> um, yeah, he. She just sent me a picture of him. She's like, he never sleeps. He's so cute. He's got the chubbiest little feet. Um, and we, I had a new teammate. The Canadian number one pilot actually ended up coming over the U.S. and we'd been training partners for a few years and had always kind of like joked about potentially racing together, but knew it would never really be a real possibility. So she was a good friend of mine. And it's just, sometimes it's nice to have new and different perspectives on a team. And, you know, the team that we traveled with was much smaller. And so everybody was very focused and dedicated. And it was like, it was like what I'd been missing from the previous season. And we put together a plan as a team and we communicated as a team and we just executed as a team and for it to all work out and end in beating the Germans on their own track after they'd beat us in Pyeongchang. And don't get me wrong. I love the German team. Like they are good friends of mine. I have no ill will towards them. Like we are competitors and friends all in the same circle and like all at the same time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it just all just it epic. all yeah. came together. Yeah, it was epic. It all came together, and I was like, I can't believe it. I'm a, I'm the best in the world right now. And I was talking to Karen Davies. She's a Olympic gold medalist in rowing, two time Olympic champion. And I was talking to her about because she she left and is coming back too. And she's like, Yeah, I just you know it's really cool to be the best in the world at something. And I was like, Yes, yes, it is. Um, <laughs> So. Yes, it is. Well, on that, I mean, you're talking about how it was hard to come back and things had changed and all these things were going. I mean, obviously, you're going to have tough days there. Mm-hmm. And we were talking kind of before we started recording um, about those tough days. Like, what do you do to get through those tough days? And how do you like get your mind around that to get through it and to become out better? Yeah, you know, I, I don't think you can do anything amazing, great, epic, groundbreaking, life changing without there being hard days. Because that saying they always say, like, if it was easy, everybody would do it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, th- I truly feel that being an Olympian is part of is being part of one of the most secret clubs in the world. <laughs> you can't buy it. You know, you yeah. can't buy it anywhere. But I think the difference maker for me in my first quad and even now is how I, one, handled adversity and two, how I, I saw adversity. 
I realized there would be days and you know, these days where like everything's clicking, right? You wake up on time, you eat a healthy breakfast, you start your warm up on time, you, you do it efficiently, your workout goes great. Like every movement feels like you're meant to do that movement. Those days are great. And those are the days that keep us coming back, I think. But then like the very next day or by the end of the week, your body hurts and everything feels off. You can barely walk in a straight line without tripping over your feet and like you hurt yourself or something like that. And I used to just get really upset and be like, oh gosh, I hate this sport, blah, 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 and complain. And then I realized like everybody who had done what I wanted to do had had bad days. And I realized the difference between going to the Olympics and potentially meddling and watching the Olympics from home was going to be how I handled and approached those, what I like to call character building days, CBDs. <laughs> because I felt like I learned so much more about myself, the sport, and my desire to be great from those days. And so at the beginning of every off season, I sit down with my coach or we talk on the phone and we put together a plan for the season and we put together a plan for the off season and the regular season. And on the days where everything feels great, I'll do an extra sprint or an extra rep, you know, just to bank that good feeling and really solidify the proper movements and mechanics. And then on the days that I don't feel great and I don't want to train and I'm tired, I just make sure to take my time and I just take it one piece at a time. So I'm like, you know what, Lauren, if you do nothing other than your warm up, then you're further than you were before. And then you do, you do your warm up and like warm ups hurt for me. I don't know about you. That, you know, until I'm warm. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and then once I'm warm and my body starts feeling a little better, I'm like, okay, why don't you just do your sprint workout today? And maybe you can like push your, your lift to another day. So I do my sprint and you know, it doesn't go perfectly, but it goes better than I expected, or at least I get through it. And then I'm like, all right, why don't you like grab some lunch and see how you feel. And maybe you can go do your lift. And then, you know, you're at lunch and like I train in Chula Vista with a lot of the the throwers and they'll be like, Hey, you going to lift? I'm like, yeah, yeah, I'll go lift. And you know, so the next thing, you know, you made it through this day where you're just cranky for who knows what reason. And you'd got it all done. You just piecemealed it out. And you just like, you thought about what you could think about at that time. And you just got through it instead of just like suffering from paralysis by analysis, like mm -hmm. instead of sitting there and being in your funk, and like thinking about the fact that you're trying to go to the Olympics and, you know, the, the clock is ticking and there's, you know, people who are younger than you and people that have better technique and people that have more experience. You know, I just focused on the task at hand. And sometimes it was just, you know, putting one foot in front of the other. Um, and then sometimes it was everything felt great. And so I realized that the difference maker was going to be how I handled those tough days. That's so true. I mean, that's, yeah. that is the difference maker. Those, those are the tough days that can usually either make you and show you like you've built character and you're going to get through it or mm -hmm. that's like it. And you want to like go the other way. And yeah. yeah, I think that's, there can be very decisive days for sure. Mm -hmm. Well, you're doing something really cool right now, this Airbnb experience. And I want you to tell people about it and how they can like connect with you because you can like talk to them and answer their questions and they get to see your cool Olympic stuff. So tell us about that. Yeah. So Airbnb, obviously with the global pandemic on their platform started something called uh, Airbnb online experiences. So obviously Airbnb is a platform where you can rent places to stay and 
they had started doing in-person experiences. So like you could go to Italy and make pasta with someone's like adorable Italian grandma, you know? (laughs) So obviously we can't do that right now, but I think with everybody staying at home and kind of every day feeling the same, Airbnb wanted to give people a platform and an opportunity to experience different things from all over the world, from the comfort and the safety of their home. And so my Airbnb experience is essentially my Olympic story and my path to the Olympics. I know we touched on a little bit of that today. And then I talk about more of like my takeaways, what I've learned. Obviously, I was in business and sales, and there's a lot of relation between elite level athletics and sales, marketing, and business. And so I, I do a lot of tie-ins there. And then people get to meet Geraldine via Zoom, and you get to see like my opening and closing ceremony stuff and my medal podium stuff. My mom is like the proudest Olympic mom, so she made me this giant book of pictures that I show. And then I just let people ask me anything about my life, the Olympics, the weather, whatever it is people want to talk about, uh, we talk about. And it's been really great because in one Zoom, I've had someone from Ireland, Scotland, Ohio, Chicago, and then me in LA. And it's like you're meeting people from all over the world that you wouldn't have the opportunity to meet or get to know. And in a time where the, the world kind of feels like it's on fire and ending, it's really nice to have something positive Mm -hmm. and exciting and interesting to do. Definitely. Yeah. And for those of you who weren't paying attention, Geraldine is her silver medal from the 2018 Olympics. So you want to meet Geraldine also. Um, So yeah, that is so cool. And something so uplifting right now and encouraging. If you've got somebody who's just struggling right now, this could be a great gift for them too. Like that's just really, really cool. We'll make sure to link in the show notes how you can do that with Lauren. So awesome. Lauren, thank you for coming on and just dropping truth bombs and a few laughs and just sharing your story. You are amazing. We will be cheering you on toward Beijing 2022. Thank you so much for having me. This has been great. Uh, you know, my new BFF. Uh, this is <laughs> yes. awesome. Synchro <laughs> partner too soon. Synchro partner too. <laughs> hey, you know what? I'll give it a try because why not? <laughs> well, I love this. <laughs> Thank you so much for tuning in today. And please be sure to subscribe, rate, and review our show. This allows us to keep bringing on amazing guests, and it also helps other athletes to find this show. Make sure to check out the show notes to follow us on social media and learn more about our awesome guest. To hear all of our amazing episodes, head on over to thepursuitofgold.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. The Pursuit of Gold is proud to be a Podigy production. That's all for now. Make sure to tune back in next week.